The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa. Bhutang damang sankang namasami. So I was thinking today to speak a little bit about um, renunciation. I think like a a word, you know, which is not very doesn't have very good PR nowadays in our culture. But uh, in the rains retreat, in the three summer months from July, August, and September, when I mean, the monastics have have their wasa, then uh, you know sometimes they keep, you know, some special little aditanas, little make decisions, you know, to put a little bit more effort into the practice or maybe renounce something just for these three months or do something extra, you know, just for these three months just to see what effect it has on our lives. Maybe just a little thing, giving up to eat uh, chocolate in the afternoon, one hour of the things we can eat after afternoon or just doing something very small and then just see how the mind reacts to that. And in other words, uh, renunciation in Pali is, is, is nekama and that's the opposite to karma, which is um, sensual desire. And nekama means something similar to Freedom from uh, addiction, or freedom from desire, and I think you know this word um, is is a very important word in the practice because you know being driven by desire is is a very difficult way to live because it brings a lot of fear and a lot of restlessness and a lot of you know the un unwholesome, un- negative emotions into our life and being able you know, to just voluntarily step back and, and not do something or not say something, there's a lot of freedom in it and it is, can give us you know, a lot of fearlessness, really not being so driven by, by our karmic tendencies. And uh, I like to think about uh, renunciation, not so much about you know, that I have to force myself to not do something or to force myself to do something, but rather want to see it as, you know, adding something to my daily life, but just adding more more mindfulness and or more awareness. And, and through this adding of mindfulness and awareness, you know, seeing more clearly what desire is all about and you know, where it leads us, because, yeah, as you probably have all noticed, is if you fulfill one desire, and if you think then afterwards you'll be happy forever after, I think all of you have noticed it doesn't work. Because it's not, you know, the end of desire doesn't uh, come through fulfilling all of our desires, 
but it comes through being able to, to let go of desire altogether. Because this energy will move into anything, you know, and whip up one thing after the next. There's just no end to it. Because it's not about the fulfillment of, of desires, but it's about this energy, you know, which is underlying and which is actually that which keeps us bound to seek one body after the next and one birth after the next within a day or with over lifetimes. This is the same kind of a momentum which keeps us going, keeps us running and you know, trying to find some safety, trying to find some uh, ground under our feet by having something to go towards. Or the, you know, the opposite of, of desire, maybe aversion, having something to fight against. But it's that same energy of, of wanting something to you know, fortify this uh, notion of me, or of ego. And uh, trying to beat down the ego and you know, suppress it or kill it or all of these different things, it doesn't work. Because the only way which really works is you know, to make friends with the ego and, and to cooperate with, uh, with it. Because when it goes underground, when we force it underground through trying, you know, to suppress or oppress the ego, then it even has more influence over us. We just don't notice it. But most people around us will, and that's especially, um, you know, a sad situation. So... It's really very important to, to take the ego uh, for what it is and um, cooperate with it. And, and you know, heeding, heeding uh, you know, the, our limitations and, uh, you know, use skillful means, which we have a lot of through the Buddha's teaching, and, and rein it in and, and you know, take a real deep look at it and, and then see you know, what, what can be done about this. And you know, it, it all starts with uh, you know, just making a decision that we'd like to you know, have, have more understanding and you know, really trusting that this is really true, that if we understand the ego for what it is, that it starts to open up and it starts to show its true colors and it starts to kind of uh, disintegrate, really. That's, you know, the Four Noble Truths speak very clearly about that with the First Noble Truths about you know, their suffering and suffering has to be understood. And, you know, Archon Sumedho, he always said un suffering has to be understood. He always said it's like you have to really stand under the suffering, which means, you know, you have to really look at it for what it is and, and not, not push it away or try to cover it over or, you know, all the different strategies which we have developed to not really be with that. With that. And then, you know, if we really have that um, enough courage and mindfulness to stand under it and, and see it for what it is, it, it starts to open up and we, we start to become aware that this is actually an impersonal process, which is a result of causes and conditions. And 
if we you know, have enough uh, dedication to the practice, we can unravel this process. And, and, and the basis on which this process stands is, is, uh, you know, is some kind of ethics. And uh, Buddha's teaching is the minimum of the five, five precepts which you have just been taking. It's like you know, making a fence around the, the plot of land where you'd like to cultivate a garden, making a fence so you know, it's, there's a protection there. And also you know what you're working with. This is this piece of land and you know, make a fence and make it very clear. And, and then after that we go and uh, try to prepare this, land, this piece of land by weeding it and... and you know, doing all kinds of things to that uh, piece of land so that there is a, a clear space and we can, we can put in uh, good seeds. And, you know, so the first, the first part of the work is the, uh, you know, making a decision about in which direction we want to go and, and then starting to work, work with it. And, you know, the, f- the more clarity we gain, the more we can see, you know, how much we're leaking out energy by doing all kinds of things, you know, which distract ourselves, you know, getting entangled with different things. And we start to see that clearer and clearer and, you know, have maybe more focus over time and, and more clarity, you know, about how causes and conditions are, are connected and you know, if you want to have uh, this result, then if you don't do something which, you know, is leading to this kind of result, you won't have it. So if that clarity becomes more, um, you know, gets more scope in our life, then we have more ability, you know, to create what we'd like to have in our lives. And... Uh, so like the first part is more connected with, with ethics, with sila, and the second part is more connected with um, like focusing on samadhi or concentration. So, you know, making a decision and then acting on it repeatedly again and again and again. And then over time, we're going to see, you know, there are some little things coming out of the earth, some little shoots of whatever you have planted there, you know. And then you, you start to really receive nourishment from the practice and starting to, you know, have, see for yourself, you know, see, see with your own eyes that, you know, what you have been doing has a good result. And in terms of the practice, you know, see with your inner eye, with the eye of wisdom, really that, yeah, there's really uh, causes and conditions that really seems to be, you know, how reality works. And I have a, I can uh, support wholesome uh, ripenings and I can try, you know, to put an end to unwholesome ones if I act accordingly. And once you, you we experience that really deep enough within our own uh, being, you know, then the faith in the practice becomes, you know, unshakable over time. And... Uh, 
you know, and, and if the faith becomes really strong, we have more courage, we go into areas, you know, we normally wouldn't go within ourselves. And it's a, it's a very kind of a wholesome spiral, you know, which starts to develop. And we, we always come back, you know, the same things in our lives because it's, you know, it's your own character. It, it won't change. It will always be basically, you know, the same kind of a personality, but you can see, you know, deeper and clearer into it. And then it lightens up. And so we revisit and revisit again and again, same things, but we go deeper and deeper. And, uh, you know, make more and more space around it. And, and, uh, come slowly and, uh, and surely, you know, have more and more space around the experience and less and less identification, you know, with what's going on in our own uh, bodies and minds. So in the beginning of the practice, when we maybe haven't even heard about, you know, mindfulness yet or about awareness, it's like if we have any, you know, strong emotion arising, then the emotions they have us is not that we have the emotions because we are so identified and so caught up with it that we are not even aware, you know, that we are afraid or that we are, you know, greedy or whatever. So this is such a strong storm going on sometimes that, you know, when we wake up from it, it's, and we have already done our sad things which we, you know, wish later on we wouldn't have, but the weather is so strong we, we, we just can't uh, keep, keep uh, mindful in the midst of it. So our experience has us. And then through increasing practice, you know, and being able to step back a little bit and uh, being able to, you know, keep at least partially uh, awake within it, we start to have our experience. So we, we, we are aware, you know, there's fear or there is whatever, anger coming up. And there's a bit of a, a possibility, you know, to step back from it and to reflect on it. We might still get sometimes carried away, but we wake up quicker. Or maybe we even, you know, can remove ourselves from the scene or, or maybe, you know, gratify the greed like five minutes later or so. So we start to, you know, make some space around it. And, and then over time, you know, it's, it's uh, through repetition and reflecting, you know, onto experience even after it has happened. We can see more and more, you know, how, how we are the, you know, we are basically the creators of our own um, lives. And, and there's more and more... Uh, Willingness, you know, to really open up to the experience and to, to, it's not anymore so important, you know, what we're experiencing in terms of content, but it's, it becomes more important how we are with the experience. And that's when it's really getting interesting, you know. This is then when we really can uh, start to uh, work on ourselves. If, if we are more interested in what's going on inside here, than you know, than what is what we are meeting, and and I think that's when the practice really starts to to take off, and you know, and when we can more and more 
become aware of the fact that you know what is happening out there is is a reflection of what's happening in here and that if we would like to see you know more of something then it has a lot to do about how we are relating to the experience and you know we start to have more um, incentive you know to really um, make space and and you know not resist experience so much or at least you know notice how how much we are resisting it and and just trying you know to just go a little bit further and open up a little bit more and just you know gradually stretching 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 more and more and And then, you know, over time, maybe the next step would then be, you know, to not only, you know, be aware, uh, become aware of how you, we are feeling in, when we have a certain experience, but also, you know, if there's nothing much going on, to become aware of awareness itself, and that, which is the pinnacle of the practice, really. That's where we are practicing, you know, to return back to the true nature of the mind and not be being, you know, constantly just caught up in, uh, you know, whatever is floating through the mind. So, you know, starting with, uh, you know, having no space at all and being totally identified with the clouds in the sky, ending up, you know, to recognize uh, the true nature of the mind, the sky itself. And, you know, not being intimidated if it's cast over with tons of clouds clouds and we can't see the sky sometimes and to just you know, um, develop that uh, increasing um, ability to hold steady you know with whatever is is arising just by the fact you know that we know beyond any doubt that everything which arises ceases you know one of the very core teachings of the Buddha and Sometimes, you know, we can have experiences where it's just very difficult to trust that. But we have to just start with small things, you know, and then extrapolate that onto bigger things and go further and further into, you know, all areas of life, not just like when we are sitting formally on the cushion and nothing much is going on, but really, you know, carry it into all areas of life. And, you know, coming together like a sangha like this is, is very helpful because, you know, being together with people who have a similar understanding um, makes it much easier. And, you know, the Vasa, like the Rains Retreat, is, is considered, you know, like uh, three months where, you know, if people are so inclined, or like also in the in Christian religion, it's the, I think it's, it's called the Lent, you know, where people just renounce a little thing and and just seeing you know how renunciation is is a really is really a, a something to empower one uh, empower yourself you know with with that ability to to say no not not as a you know not as a expression of aversion but as an expression of of wisdom and and fearlessness really 
Uh, it's a self-empowerment and, uh, you know, being able to say no in order to make more space uh, for, for that which, you know, really nourishes the practice. And I wonder, you know, if we, all of us, including myself, you know, looking into our own lives, how many things we are doing, you know, which we actually don't need to really do where we just kind of waste a certain amount of time every day and it might be much better not to, to do those things. And, you know, maybe there's a few things we just do them out of habit and or we just do them because we, we don't have the courage to say no. It's just interesting if, if we all can look in our lives and see if there's maybe one little thing, you know, and just try just for one week or for one day even to, to not do it and, and, and look how that feels. I find that very interesting. You know, some little thing which you do every day where you get, have gotten very used to it already. And if one day, maybe you do it just half an hour later than usual and see what the mind throws up, I think that might be very interesting. Like in the morning, I don't know what, what kind of a routine you have, what you drink every day in the morning, and don't do that for one day. Or maybe just do it an hour later and see, you know, how the body goes crazy about it. Just one cup of coffee or something like that. Leave alone other things. I find it very interesting to just see, you know, the power of desire, how strong it is. And, and it's really not about the things themselves, you know, or the objects of desire. It's, it's, I mean, I'm sure you know it all, but it's, you know, if you really kind of reflect on it, it's, it's not about the things, it's about the feelings you know, which are coming from those things. And as you all know, they, they all are arising and ceasing. So, I mean, it's not the end of the world. But how it, you know, what the body is doing, it, it, it kind of, it sounds like it, it's the end of the world. So it's so convincing, you know. And just seeing that, you know, it's not about the object of desire, and also, you know, to see, the, to look deeply underneath, you know, how, how addicted we are actually to have desire itself, because it gives us a certain feeling of, of solidity, you know, to, I know exactly what I'm doing, and, and that makes me feel solid, that makes me feel I have something to do, and I am somebody. And just seeing, you know, how committed we are to that, and... You know, it's, so it's not really about the object of desire. It's not about necessarily you know, getting it, but it's more like the underlying commitment, you know, to, the, to have desire itself, which is the real thing, you know, which we have to look at in the, uh, how, how we can experience it as a, in the body, you know. It's this, this kind of a solidity of having an aim, this is very seductive because this is what makes us uh, ha be, be somebody and that's what we're really addicted to. And just, you know, next time you have really a very strong mission, you know, just look underneath to, to this commitment to desire itself. And, of course, you know, it's a, it's a very powerful force. I, I don't think we're going to quickly bring it to an end. But just, you know, have enough... Um, information about how formidable a force it is, really. 
And, uh, you know, we have to respect it because it's very, very strong. Because it has brought us, you know, to many, many births already. And most likely, if we don't get enlightened this lifetime, it will keep on going like that. But to just, you know, have an insight into that is, uh, is a valuable insight. Because it... Uh, you know, it gives us uh, information about how deep, how many, many layers, you know, there are to, to being a human being. And, uh, you know, how much we are usually living only on the surface. And how much there is, you know, to, to investigate. And, you know, the last month is, is when the rains retreat started, and that was the month also when the Buddha left, you know, left his wife. It was the month of July, it's called Asala. It's the first day in the, in the, in the rains retreat. That's when, you know, when his little son was born in this month, and then afterwards he, he, he left the palace, and he, you know, set out on his quest, because he was so deeply, uh, you know, shaken by having seen what's called the, the four heavenly messengers. I think, I'm sure you've heard about it. You know, he saw a dead person, a sick person, and an old person. And he saw a renunciant as well. And you know, through these sights, he was so deeply you know, kind of shaken by the fact you know, that... Uh, this human condition is a very um, unstable one. And he really, you know, wanted to go to the core of it. And he wanted to, you know, really deeply, completely and utterly understand what is it what keeps us running like this, you know. One birth after the next, old age, sickness and death, and again and again and again. So he was really going into the depths. He really you know, crack this whole thing with a desire. And then he, uh, he was enlightened after that. We have the potential to do that as well. And it all starts by, you know, making the decision that we want to do it and then, you know, make a fence, so to say, with the precepts and uh, weed out, you know, the ego through, uh, you know, practicing meditation and, you know, focusing and, you know, end up with increasing a disidentification with what's going on in the body and in the mind and, uh, you know, abiding more and more in uh, the recognition of awareness in, in, the, in the sky, you know, in this limitless uh, potential of our own mind. And... That's what I'm trying to do, and uh, it doesn't always work. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen a few things, so I know I'm going in the right direction. I'm not going to stop. And um, I hope, you know, that I can encourage you to do the same. <laughs> 